Please be seated. In chapter 12 of John's Gospel, Jesus says to the crowd, and now my soul is troubled. Mine too, I wanted to say after reading this Gospel passage. But then I wondered if that isn't what he wants, to trouble the waters. Not that it's his intent for a troubled spirit to be our permanent state. Even spiky Jesus is probably more about inspiring us. But it's fascinating that this part of the Sermon on the Mount might well have come in the very same hour as the Beatitudes. You know, that lesson that flows from the word blessed or happy. Similarly curious is last week's reminder that we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Yet here we are, abruptly shifting into way more violent imagery. Murder, maybe even adultery and divorce as forms of violence. Judges throwing people into prisons, cutting off body parts, or worse, entire bodies going to hell. Now the hell reference is interesting. I had thought initially about spending the bulk of our time together today unpacking hell yet again. But I am convinced that the most popular or the most historically utilized, shall we say, interpretations of hell have lost their usefulness. If they ever had any, that is, except for certain human power structures. No, hell is no longer useful in our conscious minds anyway. Really, even the concept of heaven as strictly something of the afterlife has begun to lose the kind of usefulness it was once thought to have theologically. I mean, could God really mean to dangle the shiny object of what the kingdom of heaven represents only to withhold it while we're alive? It seems rather of a piece with that language of <coughs> uh, you know, thinking that the desires of the God that we love uh, really include the, the possibility of the ultimate in punishment, you know, like being outside God's reach for all eternity. Neither of those options seem particularly Jesus-y. So I'm not feeling the discussion of that content nearly as much as the opposite. You know, the togethering thing that Jesus is unquestionably way more interested in. There is a lot more energy for me in that area. But I've come to genuinely love how he gets really unsettling content about behaviors, really, all swirling around in a provocative way. You could rightly find yourself wondering what the heck he's driving at. I will bet some of his original listeners did, especially having been lulled into a pretty safe place with the Beatitudes and whatnot. So that's where I found myself after the whole hell thing, sort of chanting Om and meditating about what he wants us to do with this content. And pretty soon a thought began to rise up about how in the 21st century we have benefit of a couple of thousand years of gospel study, which is pretty much to say that we've seen him do this kind of stuff before, and a lot. 
we know just how capable Jesus is of conducting exercises to help us realize how trapped we usually are in how the world works rather than how God works in the world. We might even see his method as having a lot to do with getting us to helpful places by beginning in what appear to be unhelpful ways. Now that's Jesusy. And what it may mean is that he's aiming at the beyond deep places, the generative spiritual energies, the seeds inside us from which things like insult and accusation grow into manifestation, the places where lust and in fact every form of desire is born, godly and ungodly desires, the places out of which both virtue and sin arise, the spiritual forges where oaths in God's name can become prayers or weapons. I'm betting Jesus wants us to enter into those places and find our way to broader sensibilities regarding how and where from violence springs. Because from there, we can actually gain some clarity and as a result, maybe have a better chance to connect what's deeper than consciousness with our actions. It's, it's an exploration in how the spiritual energies we can't even describe bubble up through more surfacey thoughts. Thoughts that when they're repeated often enough become beliefs and then actions or more troubling still reactions that we don't know the source of or how to even say where they came from. There, there's a couple of examples from scripture that I think may help illustrate what I'm talking about. Number one, Eden. And I know the story of Adam and Eve and the serpent has many layers about human development and spiritual development. But I always feel like one of the story's essential elements is that it describes a turning point when a seed of suspicion about God is planted by the serpent. You know, God only wants you to avoid the fruit of that tree because eating it will make you just like God. You know that, don't you? I feel like that points to the same place deep inside that Jesus is aiming at today. Not sure there had to be a snake. Maybe what's actually symbolized here is activity in the unconscious. And number two, the Ten Commandments. Jesus, a bit more overtly, brings a progression inherent in them into the conversation. For instance, the first four are about me and God. The next five are about me and you. Honor parents, no murder, adultery, theft, etc. And the final one is about me and me covetousness and being internally mindful of it. On one hand, the Ten Commandments illustrate a progression that directs the focus more and more toward the inner being. And maybe, actually, their special genius is that they work in the opposite direction as well, taking us from self-focus out into the world of others and ultimately to God. So, as Jesus' provocative references today swirl about you, 
And a sense of wonder about what's inside you that's deeper than consciousness begins to weave its way through. Ask yourself if it's possible, knowing what you can even know about what Jesus is up to regarding people and love, Ask yourself if he really is interested in having you literally cut off your hand or pluck out your eye. It might be he's using jarring imagery to get your attention and by doing so draw you into a deeper place, a place of reflection where you can begin to understand that for godly purposes in the world, there may be times when the human capacity for offense is very much worth examining in a way something like this. When I come to that fork in the road where offending, whatever that might mean, is a choice before me, how will I choose to proceed as if the agent of offense, be it my hand or my eye or anything else, isn't even in the mix? not available to me at all. And then the risk of offending, even the temptation to do so, and it is a perverse and insidiously seductive temptation, hence the power of Jesus' language perhaps, the very temptation has been, in a spiritual sense, excised entirely. So that the barrier Jesus is circling around today will be removed. What barrier? Well, I went back and I reread this passage, as I often do after reflecting about how maybe Jesus is guiding us deeper into interiority and spirit. And the one thing I found rising up and standing head and shoulders above the rest was this. First, be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come offer your gift. And I got that this is the whole point in today's lesson, that this is what the kingdom of heaven is about. Which is not to suggest he's trying to force you to put yourself in harm's way with the poor souls who've hurt you repeatedly and seem intent on doing so again and again. I mean, he does talk in other places about shaking the dust off your feet and moving on to do as much good as you can elsewhere. In chapter 10 of Matthew's Gospel, in fact, he actually says, flee to the next town. I'm thinking he's much more concerned with the ones we do have a chance of becoming tenderly reconciled with. He's concerned about our making a connection deep inside our hearts, too deep for words, regarding them, and somehow finding healing and renewal. And finally, and this also flows from Jesus' words in last week's gospel about not having come to abolish the law but to fulfill it, Today, he emphasizes reconciliation with one another by insisting that the worship experience is a factor and maybe in an unexpected way. The reconciliation piece having everything to do with more awareness of living the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law, which is a major theme for Matthew's Jesus. In other words, do I carry a grudge or anything like it to the altar? 
And can I dare myself to acknowledge as much so that I can come into closer alignment with God, make the kingdom of God inside me and in the world through reconciliation where it is wanted? And no, no one has any right to ask such a question of you but you. The furthest I or anybody else can responsibly go in that direction is simply to introduce the concept in the abstract and let you discern its resonance. But as you discern, I hope you'll remember this. It seems pretty clear we are all drawn in this direction, otherwise we wouldn't be here. My fervent hope is that it really does being here really does have something to do with what Jesus is up to. That's my hope. And that being said, I'm actually pretty firm in my belief that he knows that you are the expert when it comes to the relative stages of success you experience on your journey. And you know what? It's really okay to congratulate yourself for even being interested in continuing along the way. What we can do together here, with the kind of love that is as arresting as the language Jesus uses, is to help each other more comfortably and more successfully continue on the path. And that's all. And maybe that's enough. Amen.